Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series, presented by TELUS. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC, TELUS, and Jelly Marketing. Linda, why don't we just to warm it up, tell me about maybe uh, this morning, what it was like for you at the ceremony there that Tom hosted. It was really nice because yeah. we're from Saskatchewan, so hearing the Cree language always makes me feel so uplifted and trying to remember the words he used. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and for you, uh, getting to you know, be here today, what does it mean to you being to be at this experience, this kind of gathering of people? This is the first time that I've been to anything like this, so I'm not quite sure how it'll impact me or how it'll be, but it just feels um, like a safe place. That's great. And, and yesterday, the second annual... Truth and Reconciliation Day. What was that like for you to, to be a part of that and be with fellow uh, Métis people? It was nice. Yeah. It was um, a different kind of day for me. My daughter just moved. So I spent all the day before and yesterday morning helping. So I had to rush home, pack up, and get here. My sister got here from Saskatchewan and was waiting patiently. Thank mm-hmm. you. That's great. And maybe for you, what, what is the story that you want people to hear? What do you, what do you want to have recorded for, for generations to, to be able to access and, and for people today to hear? Well, I think it's important for my daughters yeah. and my little granddaughter to hear my story. And where would you like to start with your story? Um, I think I'll start for when, like a, from the very beginning. Yeah. We lived in a little community in Cree Lake, Saskatchewan, far from anything. The only way to get there was through um, float plane in the summer or ski planes in the winter. So there was nothing there except our family and one other permanent family on the island we lived on. So we didn't have a school. We didn't have stores. We didn't have anything. So we had to go somewhere for school. My dad was white. My mom was Cree. And my sister was saying last night that we weren't physically dragged away by the police like some families were, but had we lived in a different community, maybe we would have. And we had to go to school somewhere. Mm-hmm. So my mom didn't send me till I was seven. Mm-hmm. Margaret, my sister, was thankfully there because I would have died of loneliness, yeah. I think, without her. And I remember being her prepping me for school. <laughs> Teach, tried to teach me how to say yellow because I couldn't say yellow. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting on the, our kitchen table and she mm-hmm. was combing my hair. Okay, say yellow. Mm-hmm. Lillo. 
over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I also couldn't say south because mm-hmm. everybody there, when they left the, the community, say they're going south. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say south to save my soul because I was missing my front teeth. Mm-hmm. South. I'm going south. And I kept practicing to myself mm-hmm. out behind our house all alone. <laughs> I still couldn't say it. And I remember getting, I don't remember the flight out of there. I don't remember the drive to the school. Mm-hmm. I just remember wondering when school starting because yeah. I was waiting for school to start, but we were at the residential school. I think it was a weekend. So <clears throat> I just remember thinking, where's all the books? Where are all the pencils and paper? And I think that I, I must have had to go to the bathroom the whole time, but I was too scared to ask anybody where it was. So the next morning, I remember standing at the sink with Margaret, mm-hmm. brushing my teeth, and I think she was combing my hair, and I peed all over the floor. <laughs> I remember being really kind and saying, it's okay, we'll just change you. Mm-hmm. So it was seven, so imagine, I don't know if you have little children, mm-hmm. but seven-year-old away from your family. Yeah. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and an eight-year-old daughter. Oh, imagine if they were gone from you. Those are my first memories of being there Mm. and being scared at night because we, I think they told us we couldn't get out of our beds at night. Mm. And at the very end of the hallway was a big red exit sign Mm. with a pot, like if you had to go to the bathroom Mm. the night. But I think they said you're not allowed to get up. I think if I remember correctly, so I was too scared to move. And that's what I remember first few days yeah. and leading up to going what was that like for your family and getting ready to go to school um I don't remember that first year but I remember the years after my mom would always be frantic towards the end because she always ordered us new clothes mm. from the catalog and one year my dad was away when the plane came it just came unexpectedly mm-hmm. we didn't know ahead of time it was coming I remember her swearing and running around being really angry because none of us were ready the clothes hadn't came yeah yet because they were probably coming on a different plane yeah <clears throat> and for years and years after i i would dream that same dream every night of the plane landing on the lake and me frantically trying to pack mm. and not knowing what to take and thinking do i need this for the winter do i need that mm. and but when we got there they took all of our clothing anyway and put it in the attic of the building and gave mm. us the clothes that they wanted us mm-hmm. to wear. So like a uniform. And we didn't have a uniform. We just right. had, it was a Mennonite run okay. school. Yep. So all the girls wear long, old-fashioned dresses all winter long, too. Mm-hmm. Could you describe your classmates? How many there were? Okay. There were two, two schools, like two buildings. One was grade one to grade four, and the other building was four, or no, grade one to grade three, then four to seven, and the other one. So there was a mixture of all kinds of ages in there. And when I was in grade one, some of the kids from the village came to the school also. And there was this big, huge boy named Teddy Beatty, who's like a bully. And I think he was 16, but he, had, he was way behind in school. Mm. And so he was in our, our room too, and he was mm. so mean. And one day the superintendent came to the school. He didn't even come into the school to see mm-hmm. us. He stayed in the cloakroom, that was called in those days. The teacher went out to speak to him. 
So I don't know why a superintendent wouldn't want to see the students, at least. So while he was out there, Teddy Beatty grabbed me by the hair, pulled me out of my desk, and dragged me down the aisle, and I was too scared to say anything. So when the teacher came back in, <clears throat> she wanted to know who had made all the noise and who, who wasn't quiet like she asked us to be. So nobody was, would say anything because they were too scared. So we all had to stand at the front of the class. She gave us all the strap. Mm. Wow. So that was little me in grade one. <laughs> oh, man. And you lived there as well? Yeah. Tell the, us about that. The school was separate from the, the dorms that we lived in. So there's a boys' dorm, a girls' dorm. The girls' dorm had separate bedrooms, but there were two bunks, bunk beds in each one, two sets of bunk, bunk beds, so four per room. And we were divided into... Little girls, middle-sized girls, and big girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so when you got there, of course, you're the little girls. You had to go to bed the earliest. Mm -hmm. Then the middle-sized girls were next, and then the big girls. I think we had to go to bed at 6.30. How many years were you there? Um, grade 1 to grade 7. But I was so, so smart, maybe because I started school later, that I got to skip grade 3. Nice. Yeah, so I was there from grade 1. Two and then to grade seven. And by the time we got to the, I think in grade six, we got a brand new school. So, wow. And we always had to walk. So it was a long, long distance through a, a path through the woods. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you got left alone after school to do cleaning the chalkboards or staying to do work that the teacher thought you needed practice yeah. on. And you'd have to walk home all by yourself through the woods where there were lots of bears and other wild animals. Yeah. Wow. I never saw them, but we were lucky, I guess. Yeah. And tell me about your experience. Were you there then, I guess, September to December, and would you go back home for Christmas no. or summers? No. The first few years, we never got to go home for Christmas. Okay. And so, but summers, though? Yeah, it's summertime. Summertime, yeah. but not so, Christmas. Okay. We left home the end of August and yep. got home at the end of June. Okay. And I think probably when I was, like, grade six, five or six, we started going home at Christmas time. So I don't know how that was arranged. I think yeah. my dad, my dad worked for the Saskatchewan government. Okay. So I think he would, he arranged the grocery plane that he got once a month to come around the time that we could come home okay. for Christmas. Wow. And what was that? Your other students, were they all Indigenous as well? Or were they mixed? Mostly Métis. Okay. The ones from the, the village that came were um, uh, First Nations kids. Okay. And they got to go home at the end of the day. Some of them, even though their house was maybe half a mile from the residential school, they still had to stay there to imagine how they felt not being able to go home at night, their moms. What's something you want people to remember? Maybe some of the highlights from it the, that you want to, to pass down. There were some fun things. Yeah. I remember going, one of the girls was allowed to go trapping yeah. for furs. I'm not sure how she wrangled that. But she took me one day, and it was such a beautiful snowy yeah. summer, or not summer, winter day. And I remember walking. It felt like miles and miles and miles from the school. And she caught, in her trap, she caught a bunch of squirrels. And she, she said, can you carry these home? So I said, sure. I was really happy to help. Then I started itching all over. <laughs> and I thought, what the heck? They were full of fleas. So that's why she got me to carry them, because she knew. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So that was a fun thing I remember, yeah. the 
not fun getting bitten, yeah. but getting to go out and do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the year, they always had a big picnic before we went home. And I remember, I think it was the last year I was there, we had to do laundry all the time, like big, like the, all the whole dorm of laundry. We all took turns. And I was helping, it was an old-fashioned washing mm. machine with a ringer. And my hand got stuck in a rag, and it went right through the ringer. And I was, the only thing I cared about was that I was going to miss the picnic the next day because I probably had a broken arm. <laughs> so that's the most thing I was, that I was upset about. And my friend who was helping, instead of hitting the emergency roller thing, yeah. rolled my arm back out again. So I got double rolling. Oh, man. But it wasn't broken. Um, friendships. Tell me about friendships. friendships. You had your sister there. Yeah, I had a, my sisters, lots of brothers there. Okay. How many sisters, how many brothers? At the same time, I think there were six of us yeah. at one time. Yeah. I have a picture of all of us there. We were allowed to, to speak to each other. I know lots of residential schools didn't allow that, but we could mm-hmm. mingle like during free time. Yeah. And... Another memory I have of getting there, I don't know how, I would never have gotten away with this at home, so I don't know why I tried it there. But in the dining room, the girl sat on one side and the boy sat on the other. And I, I remember having canned plums for dessert hmm. and spitting <laughs> the pit across the table with my brother. Hmm. And he was terrified because he knew I'd get in big trouble. So he was going, don't do that. Like he did say it, but his eyes were saying, stop it. Because yeah. I would never, my mom and dad would never have allowed me to act yeah. like that. So I don't know who I thought I was that day. Um, the meals we had were every single day porridge for yeah. breakfast, except Sundays when they they made a little special effort and we got cornflakes or puffed wheat. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And all the milk was powdered skim milk so it was awful like watery i don't i i don't know why i don't remember the dinners or lunches but we had to walk home like walk to school and walk all the way back for lunch all the way back to school wow to your dorms to the school because the school was separate yeah from the the dormitory area Mm -hmm. would you eat at the dormitory area then is that where they had the meals yeah they had a big dining room and everybody had to help with um, setting up and for doing dishes after. So we got an extra long lunch time so okay. that everybody could make it back in time. Maybe tell me about some of the teachers. Do you have any memories of any of the teachers or any special ones that you want to? Um, there was one who was really, really mean, the one that made me stay after school every day because she because I had trouble with math. So mm. she used to make me stay after school and, that I'd have to walk home all by myself. Mm-hmm. And everybody hated her, so we mm-hmm. we made fun of her because she had really hairy legs. Mm-hmm. And we called these little fish at home in the summertime that we saw swimming, we'd call them Miss Paul's legs. So when she was mean, she was really mean. One day when I had to stay after school, it was in the new school that was built, the windows were really high and they opened inward. It was really windy, so the day I was leaving after school, the door slammed really hard from the wind, but she thought I did it. So she chased me down the, the hall with a, a big, it was called a yardstick back then, and beat me on the 
behind. And I cried, but it didn't hurt because I had a big fluffy skirt on. But I cried just so she'd stop mm-hmm. and think that it was hurting me. So I remember her most of all. And what else do you need to know? Maybe give me some uh, memories. What would you do after school? After school, we always walked home to the dining room because yeah. they always had a snack for us. Oh, nice. Yeah. And Fridays was always big cinnamon buns. So I, I was really charming to the cook. I'd stand and talk to her, eat my cinnamon bun. And then when her back was turned, it always used to snitch another one. Because <laughs> I think we were always hungry. Yeah. I still love cinnamon buns. And when I mentioned porridge before, you'd think that I'd had enough porridge there, but I still love it to this day. I, I started to be a marathon runner in my late 40s, early 50s. And I, we'd always talk about food while we were running. And one day I said to my runner beside me, I'm going to make porridge when I get home. Porridge, she said. Why would you want porridge? But I still, you'd think I wouldn't, but I still love it. I know um, it was really lonely when you, when you first got there missing your family. And one year, but just before I left, my mom was painting the inside of our house. She's always painting something. And I accidentally touched the wall. And she yelled at me, what did you do that for? I told you to keep away from that wall. I didn't know till quite a few years later that she didn't paint over my little handprint. She said she just couldn't because I was leaving soon for school. I remember that. And you think of September 30th now. We had our second um, kind of honoring day mm-hmm. yesterday. What does it mean to you? What, do you? what do you want people to do on those days? And what does it mean to you personally? I'm just glad that we have it and that more people are aware of it now. Because I, I didn't talk about it for a long, long time. My, I have two daughters who are grown adults now. When they were little, I told, told them I went to a boarding school. And when they got older, they said they, they pictured like a Paris, you know, all girls, posh mm-hmm. kind of school. Yeah. That's what they thought I went to. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know why I, I wasn't, like, why would I be ashamed of going there? Probably because I was ashamed of who I was mm-hmm. as an Indigenous person. And I think in the before I, I came and when we filled out some paperwork prior to this, I was asked who made a difference in my life. And I was <clears throat> already like in my 30s. And I got a job at a family service organization. And there was a retired principal working there as a volunteer teaching ELL to, to new immigrants. And he started talking to me, and he he knew I was Cree. I didn't. I never told him, but he figured it out. And he kept hounding me to join the school district um, advisory committee, and I I was still ashamed of being Indigenous. I never told anybody. And he so he went behind my back to the to my boss and said, "Linda's joining the the advisory committee." So that's when I got to that part. There were so many proud Indige- Indigenous people in that group. And that's not how it was in Saskatchewan. There was still lots of racism, I think, still now. And people aren't proud of who they are. So I became more and more filled with pride. His name was Denny Ross. Hmm. He made, I think 
thanks to him, I started embracing who I am to this day. And I was also married to an RCMP officer. So in Saskatchewan, I grew up with, with that group of people who, who didn't speak very highly of Aboriginal people. So that's why I hid a lot of it, too. What's it like for you when you hear stories of other residential schools and, and people's experiences? It, it's really sad. I went to a wellness conference, too, right around the same time I started being on the advisory committee. And hearing some of the stories were so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Like we, I think we were one of the luckier ones, even though we got you know, phys- physically and sexually abused. And, but I remember hearing an elder woman telling us in the at the wellness conference how about her first days she didn't speak English mm-hmm. at all so when she when she spoke she spoke her language mm-hmm. and they stuck needles in her tongue and I thought oh my god I can't imagine anybody doing that to a child I'm not trying to minimize what we went through either but our treatment wasn't like that, like that's horrible. We do this thing at home around the dinner table with our kids, and you know, they're three, seven, eight, and fifteen, mm-hmm. and we do a thing called peach and pit of the day. Oh, sometimes it's the rose and thorn of the day. Mm-hmm. You shared some of your peaches with cinnamon buns, and mm-hmm. getting to go out on the trapping. Mm-hmm. Maybe share some more of the pits that you experienced that people should know about. The bad parts. Yeah, yeah. There was a a young family, a man and his wife and kids, who came there from the States. And back then, it was around the Vietnam War, and I think he only came to escape going to that. So he was a pervert. And he, um, I, th- I think he abused a lot of the girls there. Like I was telling my sister last night, one time he, uh, he said to me and my friend, I'll take you to the store, because it was a store mm-hmm. down the road. And he, it was a little cab of a truck, so I sat in the middle, and all the way there, he was rubbing his elbow up and down my, didn't have much then, but <laughs> my breast. So I, I knew how to get out of situations like that, so I made sure I didn't sit beside him on mm-hmm. the way home. But I found out later, as a grown adult, that he abused a lot of both, especially my sisters, little sisters, and other women there. And I don't know why nobody did anything about it. Like we didn't tell our mom until we were really old, and she felt really bad because she, we never said anything about our experiences at the mm. school. We just went home and acted like, like we were happy. I guess. When you think of this school, have you gone? Have you ever gone back physically and seen no. it? No, they had a reunion one year. I didn't go, and now it's been burned to the ground. I don't know who, if someone did it spitefully or what happened to it. But someone told me that under the, where one of the furnaces had been, that they found some skeletal bones. When you think now, the kind of the, the Mennonites role in that and what's happening, some of the reconciliation they're trying to do, mm-hmm. how do you feel? That's good. Yeah. If, they're really, if they do really mean it. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have any religion in my life at all. I don't yeah. 
go to church. I just have my own spiritual ways of being. What do you, what do you hope for your kids now? You've got daughters and a... I'm just crib. grateful that they didn't have to experience that, especially my little granddaughter. Mm. Every time I look at her, I think how surrounded she is with love and people around her always, like she never has to be alone. The other day she asked me, because they had an a assembly at school about Orange Shirt Day, and she, she asks me every year, but she forgets, how long were you at residential school? And then she, she, she said, I was really sad today, Grandma, thinking about you. So I'm glad they're learning. Um, I work in the school system now, so um, we don't do any of the planning for Orange Shirt Day. We, our our program says it's up to the the schools. Like, what? Why should we do the work of reconciliation? Like, let them do it. So it's really amazing what the schools come up with on their own and how they honor us. So, I'm grateful for that. Amazing. And and what are you hoping for today at this MNBC gathering here? Just um, healing and being with other people who have gone through similar circumstances. I'm really excited. I know it's their first one, so I hope they do this every year. I thought it would be bigger. I thought there would be more people, but I guess people just aren't ready or able to come. Did you make it to the BC Lions game last no. night? No. <laughs> I was so tired. I helped my daughter move yesterday before and yeah. yesterday, so I just needed to rest. Plus, I was sick for the last two weeks and we just lost a sister-in-law mm. so I was on bereavement leave last week okay. so I just needed some time to chill yeah. yeah we watched it on tv last night is it nice to see all the orange mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and I don't know what I, I said this to somebody before I came when I was asked if I want to go I don't know why but I didn't want to feel singled out in a group of of survivors like I don't know what the I don't even know myself what that was about why I felt like that because you know how they pan around the yeah. camera I don't know maybe I still have that shame a little bit left in me yeah I don't think anyone likes being put on the spot for something that's mm-hmm. so horrific and sad yeah and the school we went to is, um, was called Timber Bay in Saskatchewan so Timber Bay and Isle Cross were both left out of the, the settlement process. They said that we we weren't funded federally, only provincially. So we're still fighting the court system to be recognized. Wow. Yeah. Because they felt like it wasn't under their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Even though it was. like They did offer some funding. Okay. So it's not fair still. I feel like we're still... It still isn't really settled for us. Mm. And someone said to me, a cousin who isn't Indigenous, that's all about the money. And I said, mm. Mm-mm, it's not, that's not what it's about. So that's still unsettled for me, part of it. be nice if there was closure. Yeah. And I could yeah. acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I went through a lot, filling out all the paperwork yeah. was really in, invasive. and. Yeah horrible the things that they asked and how they they decided who who got what money like 
depending where you were touched. Like if you're touched on top of your clothing, you got less money than if someone touched you under your clothing. It was horrible. It's awful to, to be categorized like that. Imagine that. So tell me what now today, wearing your Métis sash and, and so many amazing pins, those that are listening to this and not watching, um, beautiful pins um, and a great sash. What does it mean to, to wear that today as a proud Métis person? It's, it makes me really proud. All the pins are just from different events I've been to, like canoe journeys, um, different ones I've collected along mm-hmm. the way. And it, it feels good to be proud now, because like I said, I went through all those years of hiding who I was. Mm-hmm. And, and your skirt you're wearing is a ribbon skirt? Yes, I made this one. Wow. It's a beautiful print. It's... I know, I like that it looks like my beadwork, because I do beadwork now as yeah. a, a way of healing. Um, it's my medicine, I say. I, as I'm beading, I think of the person that's getting it and pray for them. Tell me more about that. Um, my mom was a beater, so in our house we didn't have electricity unless my dad turned the power plant on. So I, I would sit with her um, watching her do beadwork, and she'd say, don't mess up my beads, because she couldn't see very well with a lantern light. And back then there weren't that many colors to choose from, so black and dark blue could look mm-hmm. really close. So she didn't let me mess up her beads. But, but I learned just from mm. watching her, and she used to let me make little strings of necklaces. Mm. And I didn't take up um, beadwork until I was in my adult life. Okay. Like once I started recognizing and being proud of yeah. who I was. And then during COVID, me and my oldest daughter started bead, doing beadwork because it was a, a way of healing and doing stuff together. And when my mom passed away, I asked if I could have what was left of her beads because nobody else was doing beadwork. And when I got home to Vancouver, my, my bag was missing at the airport. And there was one black bag still going around and around the carousel. So I, I figured that the other person must have taken mine. So I found the name tag, and there was luckily a phone number on there. I called when I got home and I said, I think you took my bag and I burst out crying. (laughs) My mom's beads were in there. And guess what? It was a bag of all me beads mixed together. (laughs) When she told me not to mess up her beads when when I was little, they were all jumbled together in a big pile. So I made everybody who wanted one a pair of earrings with her mixed up beads. And I made myself some long dangly ones. And now me and my little... My daughter have a little business that we do from our beadwork and sell it. So what's the business name? It's Lucia Rose Métis Cree Artisans. Because Lucia was my mom, my grandma's, my mom's mom's name. And my mom's name is Rosa. But lots of people called her Rose. And I just mm-hmm. thought it flowed better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when, I, when we chose that name, we were thinking of those two together. That's great. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want people to remember that you want to share for listeners? Just always remember the people who didn't come home. There was a a little boy who ran away from from our school. Yeah. Bobby Bird, if you ever want to look him up. 
And was that your school that you were? Yeah, it was the year after I left. Okay. My sister, little sister, saw him running out of the boys' dorm. You must have known him when you were there. Oh yeah, I knew him. It was the cutest little thing. He had freckles, I remember. And his um, the pervert was then moved to the boys' dorm after maybe they figured out he was shouldn't be with girls. Um, She saw him chasing him into the bush, and they never Mm. found him. And his parents. Or he lived with his grandparents. They didn't even know he was missing until Christmas, I think, when they came to get him for Christmas and he was gone. And they never found anything of him until, I think it was 20 years later, a hunter found a little skull. And then it took a lot of years to find out that was him. And apparently some elders went there to the spot to do a little ceremony, and they said he died a horrible death. So mm. we think that the pervert probably chased him and killed him and it was all because he told my sister because he pulled his elastic out of his underwear it was yeah. loose so yeah. he pulled it off yeah. and got trouble just for that so I always think of him little cute little face <laughs> how he must have been so scared running and kids at school now always ask me why did you run away I said it was too far like it was like a two hour drive to the next town that we could fly home from and then a two-hour plane ride so if I ran away it wouldn't have made it either <laughs> anywhere yeah so luckily I was only there till grade seven because then I had to go somewhere for high school yeah and I got to go live with my older sister okay after that where did where was high school for in you? Big River Saskatchewan okay. but I remember the 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 year I didn't have to go there being on the bus with my little tiny siblings and dropping them off. And they looked so scared. It was mm. getting kind of dark by the time we got there. I remember them, their little faces looking so sad. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave, leave them behind. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story with us yeah. today. Very courageous. Of you. <laughs> Thank you. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast presented by TELUS, and I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Métis Nation BC and TELUS for making this possible, with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis News at MétisPodcastSeries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you, Marcy, for listening. Mm-hmm.